So I'm excited about tonight, you know, as we started this year, there was ordinations that took place and we have started with a fresh establishment of ordinations and we had the opportunity to spend several Monday nights uh, with, these, with the group that you heard last week, but also uh, the remaining class this week that you will hear tonight. And their final was to effectively communicate a ser sermonette, if you will, uh, and do it within five or close to five minutes. How many knows that you can effectively minister within five minutes? And that was really the heart behind this. Uh, some of our elders were there and the Lord began to speak to us on that. That one of the reasons we do this is because it removes all excuses, not just for them that's on the platform. But how many knows at the gas pump, you can effectively minister to someone under five minutes. Come on, somebody. I know most of you have done that. And so it, it, we're going to remove the excuses that we don't have time to do it. You can speak about Jesus effectively under five minutes and you can give somebody hope. Amen. Ordination is not about the title. It is not about a position, but it is a license to drive. I want you to turn your neighbor and say it's a license to drive. You know, a car represents ministry. It's just like you've went, you've had your permit, and now you're getting your license to drive. Guess what you get to do? You get to officiate weddings. Boy, I'm going to tag some people on this one right here. And you get to officiate funerals, which is an amazing opportunity to minister to families that have had a great loss. There's something very powerful about standing in the gap and being the hands and feet of Jesus in these very crucial moments of life. And then you also are able to go to hospital visits and you have the license to say, I can, I can do this. You, many of you have already done it without the license. Let me just tell you what the license is. It's a piece of paper. It's all it is. But if you need it, you have it. And so we're excited about these that are uh, being ordained and to officiate services uh, as, as was, what was mentioned, but also to be able to communicate uh, with a license to do it in the communities and, and, and really any opportunity that God opens up. And I, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter the opportunity size. Let me just tell you, it could be one or it could be a thousand people in a room, but every moment is just as important. And so I have found that to be true. And I, I have found that if I'll be faithful in the little things God has asked me to do, how many knows he opens up many things for us to do? And I know that the hearts of these people, they want to do ministry. Uh, many of you are doing ministry. And under this gospel covering that God has given to us, this is all this is is prophetic word being fulfilled. God said this was going to happen. These are phases, I believe. I was telling somebody we're, we're in the phases. There's a school of ministry that's about to unlock. And God is doing new things in cross planes now. In cross planes now. You need to tell everybody we're in cross planes now. Tell your neighbors. Tell your friends. They need to get here because God is moving. How many knows that God is moving in this house? When we're, we're singing that, I can, I'm experiencing what they're saying. 
Every service day, you are in a move of God. And so, if we're in a move of God, we need to get others into that movement. So, I'm going to really, really be stressing this even more about focusing outside the house, being a witness. This used to be the campaign of Restoring Hope Church. And our heart has always been outreach ministry. Uh, a matter of fact, we built the old location on uh, hope, uh, hope uh, restoring hope programs, hope for summer, there it is, hope for Christmas, all of those different things that would reach out to the needy. And this is the hands and the feet of Jesus. But can I tell you, you, we don't all have to congregate and make it some kind of a, an event. How many knows that you can be effective all by yourself? And I'm telling you, what we have here is a treasure. We have ministry out the ears in this building. And so now we're going to take it to the street. Amen? I feel a song coming on, taking it to the street. So tonight, we are here for the rest of 2023 summer ordination classes. And I want to, they're already up here. I was going to invite you to come, but you are ready and prepared. And uh Piazzas are here tonight. The Sheffields are here. Aaliyah Morton is here tonight. And the Starlings will be closing us out tonight. And that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to just release some encouragement right now. That's the greatest gift in the body of Christ and one of the most needed in this hour. Come on, let them know that you appreciate their obedience tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's good. And then they're going to introduce themselves. They're going to release their greeting, give you their title, maybe, however, whatever y'all want to do. You don't have to do exactly. But uh, then the clock will start five minutes. You've got your clock back there. I feel like I'm at NQC. You go over your time, it's $100 every minute. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Are y'all excited about tonight? All right, so our first one up, Brother People. Come on, would you make him welcome one more time? Dios les bendiga a todos. How are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, the Spanish had to come out. <laughs> Who's happy to be here today? Amen. All right. So uh, the title of my small sermon is called We Are Grafted. Okay. So Bible says in 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Right. We as believers in Christ are clear how we became saved, right? We are saved by declaring Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Simple. Uh, John 3.16, everybody knows that one, right? For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? But we are, we all the time we hear things like this. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, right? Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify 
our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God, right? In the natural, and this is a little bit weird, in the natural, getting bathed in blood ugh, sounds disgusting, even a little bit unholy, right? But you know, it's actually real. God uses time, places, history that are uh, in the natural to explain the supernatural, right? So another thing that we also use is, oh, we hear, sorry, is we are grafted or joined or united. And it's mentioned a couple of times in the Bible, like in Romans 11, 17, but son of these branches, in this case, they use uh, branches of trees. You know, it says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been, been broken off, and you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing of God has promised to Abraham and his children, sharing in the richest nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree, right? So we hear these things, right? So one thing that I found really particular is that they're with lambs, you know, so Bible mentions lambs all the time, talks about shepherds, right? So there's two ways in the natural that you can adopt an orphan lamb to a ewe. So a ewe, if you don't know, is the female lamb, right? So there's two ways, and they're very spiritual, and I love it because, I mean, the Bible is so awesome that it uses things like this to explain the supernatural. It's, it's amazing. So one of them is called skin grafting. So basically, skin grafting, you take the de a dead lamb, a dead lamb, you take the skin of a dead lamb that is a baby, you take it off the, of that dead lamb and put it on the orphan lamb. Okay? So now the mother lamb, the ewe, can smell and see the orphan lamb as its own. Now the other one is called slime grafting. So slime grafting is actually... You take the amniotic fluid, which is water and blood, and you take it right after the lamb gives birth, right? You're getting it. <laughs> and you take the orphan lamb and bathe that lamb in that liquid, and automatically the mother lamb sees it as its own, right? Now, in the case of the slime grafting, they take the, I mean, like, like I explained, right? And this is what 1 Peter says, which I love this verse. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and that the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was this precious blood of Christ, the senseless, spotless Lamb of God. God shows him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised 
Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from eternal living word of God. Amen? And now, in the case of the, the skin grafting, right? I already explained what it says, right? So, for 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, this is really interesting, right? There is no coincidence that when Jesus died in the cross and his side was pierced, what was what came out? Water and blood. The same thing as amniotic fluid. Actually, Pastor Cheryl said one day that the church was birthed at that moment. So amniotic, comes out, amniotic fluid comes out. So we are grafted as children of God because we are washed in the blood of the dead lamb, Jesus, that now when the Father sees us, he sees the sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Do, are we still doing what we were doing last week? Ask my husband. <laughs> okay. Let me get over there. Hey, send me a puzzle. Okay. Hello, everybody. I feel honored to be here tonight sharing the word of God. Um, let me see if I can start this up. I started. Okay. Thank you very much, Tina. Okay. But I don't even know what this is doing. Is it already counting? No. Okay. Um, the Lord gave me this word in March of this year. Um, and I was doing my Bible study Saturday morning, and the Lord gave me this word. And it just started downloading. And it was in a line just at the time that people lost his job. We were picking up food. And the Lord decided to take that moment to download this word. I shared with Pastor Amanda that day. And um, she said, well, this is a very good word. And it's crazy because I debated so much in which one was it that I was going to bring tonight. But then the worship team just went ahead and just paved the word, the, 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 the way for it. So my sermon is called Bethany, where the revival dwells. That's the name of it. And my reference is going to be John 12, 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Luke 24, 50 says, when he had left them out of the vicinity of Bethany, Jesus lifted his hands and bless them. The name Bethany means house of figs. As there are as many fig trees and palms in the area, the meaning itself 
In Hebrew means desire for goodness or happiness. On another hand, it was also granted the name of house of misery because Bethany was a designated place for the sick and those with contagious diseases. Nevertheless, it became the nightly resting place of Jesus. He didn't call it Nazareth. It was Bethany. That was his house. Bethany came became one of its humble homes, providing shelter and hospitality to him who had no place to lay his head, according to Luke 9:58. But the Son of God had no place to lay his head. Jesus was repeatedly in Bethany, at the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We know that. And Simon the leopard. It became his dwelling place. When, he speak, when we speak about revival, when we touch the word revival, that is where Jesus used to do when he went to revival because he was not doing revival. He was the revival. He was dwelling in when he was invited in, in our midst. Jesus made a bigger number of miracles in Bethany. He will always find people ready to manifest. Bethany would have been considered today a revival hub. Some would have considered it a new revival breakout. But what we need to understand is that Bethany was not a revival breakout or an outpouring. Jesus was the revival. Things change when he steps into the room as we sang tonight, right? The revival of miracle signs and wonders had turned the house of misery into the house of hope. The house of the, of the poor into a house of miracles. Jesus has turned, had turned a, for, a forgotten place into an unforgettable place. Many today are expecting a revival visitation, and there's no question about it. We are having a widespread revival. Nevertheless, there's still much more to do. The, the church, the big church, has not reached the Bethany potential. We are living in the season where the Holy Spirit is searching for places that want his presence. Bethany had a revival atmosphere, okay? That made it comfortable and appealing to the heart and open space of the power of Jesus Christ. A place that did not have anything big to give, but it gave Jesus the best setting for miracles, signs, and wonders. Because why is it? He was looking for brokenness. He was looking for humility. He always is close to the brokenhearted. They recognized that they needed him. That's an important thing to do, right? They knew the power he had. And without hesitation, they would sit at the feet of Jesus, waiting for that hope that he can only give. Even with all their needs, hospitality and care was given to Jesus. Bethany was a supernatural byproduct of trusting and believing hearts that they were there. They needed that. They wanted that. A place where Jesus was needed and trusted. When Jesus moved up among them, he was anointing with fragrant oils and perfumes. Jesus would pour out on those who truly were thirsty. A place of repentance or change of heart and action. Bethany, although it was poor, it was extravagant for Jesus. Jesus fed thousands there. And the devotion that they have was immense. They didn't give Jesus leftovers. 
they made suppers and dinners for Jesus, and they invited him to stay. On the contrary, the temple in Jerusalem had a different perspective. What was once the city of David was no longer the city of praise and devotion to God. They would go religiously there and dismiss the fact that the Savior was there almost every single day. They had a lot of lies and religious lies. They did not repent because the Father is looking for hearts that are, that are full of repentance. It was not a kingdom thing. It was controlled by ambition. The word says in Mark 11, 11, that Jesus went into the temple one day and he said, okay, doesn't say it there. This is the gospel Dina, right? He was, he, it says that he looked around at everything. It was late in the evening and he said to the, to the 12, let's go, let's go. I think that Jesus was expecting to find people in the temple at that time of the night. Maybe he was looking for two worshipers, like John 4, 23, 24 says, in spirit and truth. Later that day, he found out that the house of God was being used as a cave of thieves. Luke 19, 36 says that he turned the tables that they used for currency exchange and the shares of those who sold the doves. Doves. Doves that spiritually represents the Holy Spirit. That was the offering that the poor used to sacrifice. The elites from that time in the temple had reached the lowest point of religious atrocities as they controlled the access of the people to be able to sacrifice an animal for their sins. And here we are today dealing with the same issue. The modern church has limited the access of the broken to a revival in many occasions and settings. We have limited and minimized the manifestation and the work of the Holy Spirit with human agendas and our idea of what the church should look like. In general terms, it has gotten to the point of manipulation and dismissing the true presence of God. When Jesus turned the tables, he was sending a clear message to the broken people, the sick, the abandoned, the people that were abused. I came to serve you. I came to rescue you. I hear you. I heard your cry. I will heal you and I will save you. To the stealers in the temple, he had another message. You are bankrupt. That's what it meant when he turned up the tables. You are bankrupt from now on. Your religion, your abuse, your lies are over. You will no longer take advantage of the true word of God. Because in a few days, right there from Bethany, I will ride a donkey. I will pay the price in the cross with my blood. And it will guarantee free access of salvation, healing, and deliverance. I will be the ultimate sacrifice. And I will send my spirit, the dove, upon all flesh. I will dwell with my people forever. God's intention has always been to dwell with us and transform us. Demonstrate his power. He, he found the perfect atmosphere for him to move. This is a move.
When Mary sat at the feet of Jesus to listen and learn giving him all the time and priority, he was there to listen. When people were thankful for his healing, he was there to listen. And they prepare a feast. That he was there to listen. When a woman totally surrendered and washed his head and feet with expensive perfumes, he was there to listen. When friends trusted him with their lives, even if they were dead, because they knew that he was the resurrection and life, and even if they were dead, they will come to life. The world needs that same atmosphere and feel for revival in this season. Jesus is looking for a place to dwell. Are we making the space for him? Are we doing it tonight? He needs a Bethany church. He does need it. Are we that church? Are we that church? I want to be that church. Who raises their hands and say, I want to be that church? Amen. Good evening. I'm Christy Sheffield. And um, when we did our class, I spoke on the belt of truth. But yesterday morning, the Lord changed my little sermon. And um, he said I was going to get personal because God called me two months ago to a personal fast. And he put me before him as my shepherd. And I'm going to try to get through this and I'm going to try to be respectful of the time. But there's a lot of two months right here in five minutes. And so I'm going to go into it. The Good Shepherd. Um, 500 times sheep are mentioned in the Bible. And God refers to us as his sheep. And I question, Lord, what, why? So I'm going to give you just, I'm going to teach you tonight. Is that okay? All right. When the sheep are frightened, when they're startled, they will run away, usually in groups and in herds. So it's important to stay in unity, stay in the body. A mother will actually kick to protect her young, the only known aggression of a sheep. Jesus says in Matthew 9.36 that he has compassion because they were harassed and helpless. And the world will attack us. We know, the Bible says that we are no greater than our master. Amen. As he was persecuted and fought against, so will we be. But Jesus is there. Sorry, I can't see without these. He is our comforter. Sheep are defenseless. Psalms tells us that God is our refuge and our defender. We cannot do anything without his protection. And there is powers in numbers. A sheep has no sense of direction. They will follow whoever is leading them. So who are you following? Are you following the great shepherd or are you following man? Because the Bible tells me in Matthew, John, John 10 that if you follow man and the wolf comes, he will leave, he will, and then the sheep will scatter. So who are we following? It's important who we know we're following. Amen? Um, they will also follow those in front of them. So whoever we're following, following wherever they lead, the herd will go because they can't see in front of them. They're just watching what's behind them. So if a sheep fall off the cliff, guess who's falling next? So we've got to stay together. We've got to stay unified in the body. 
Isaiah 53, 6 talks about the sheep that go astray. A shepherd will break a leg of a sheep that will continue to wander. Uh, Then he will place it upon his shoulders and he will carry it until that sheep is healed. And it is a known fact that that sheep will never leave the shepherd's side. And I thank God for the times that I've been broken. I thank God for the times when I've wandered off. He's chased me down and he's carried me through everything. And that has done nothing but make me want to stay closer to him. Jesus says in Isaiah 40, 11, he tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and he carries them close to his heart and he gently leads. A sheep cannot care for themselves. We can't do it on our own. Psalms 147.3, Jesus heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Sheep care for one another. Intercession is important. Intercession is important for one another, to build one another up and encourage them in the Lord. The Bible says, speak psalms to one another. Encourage your brother and sister. I can tell you right now, I'm going through, my toe hurts tonight, but you don't know that. So, and I know that's a, that's a little thing, but there, there's the body of the church is hurting and we don't even know it because they put it behind a smile. Jeff said tonight, he said, you know, I used to be camouflaged in the spirit and the flesh. I used to hide. I didn't want anybody to see me. How many's walking around in the camouflaged spirit when we're going through hell and we're not opening our mouth and talking about it because we're afraid that someone won't intercede for us, but talk about it. And I could go on. I'm I'm on the clock. I'm sorry. The body of Christ is so important, especially today. Especially today with the way the world's going to hell in a handbasket, my grandma would say. We've got to pull together. Sheep are not aggressive in the wrong way. In the right way, we need to be aggressive in the spirit. Psalm 34, 9 through 10 says, We will continue to worship in awe and wonder. Those that fear Him will be satisfied and will hunger for Him. This is how we fight our battles. Amen? Sheep cannot get up without help. Cast down means to a, shep- to a shepherd is when a sheep falls over onto its back. They can't get up without help, and their intestines get twisted. If not helped up, they will lay there and die or be taken out by the enemy. We've got to help one another up. Amen? Or the enemy will come and steal and kill and destroy and devour us. We have to be on guard. We have to cover one another's front and back. All, see, all through Scripture, Jesus reminds us that He is our comforter and He will not leave us nor forsake us. That clock stresses me. Sheep recognize their shepherd's voice and they are very emotional animals. Shepherds have a very close relationship with their sheep. Sheep have a great memory and they remember who takes care of them and who has harmed them. John 10, 27 says, My sheep know my voice and they follow me. Whose voice are we listening to? I've listened to the enemies before. I've listened to my own voice before. We've got to lean in. We've got to lean in. What sheep lack in direction, they make up in loyalty, friendship, unity, following the voice of their shepherd. We know, like the sheep, our Father's voice because because we commune with Him. If you're not spending time with the Lord, you're going to hear other voices and you're going to follow them. Sheep are not meant to carry burdens. 
They were not built to carry anything. Their back is weak. They will collapse. It will crush them and kill them. We are to take our burdens to the Lord. Amen. We're not meant to carry it. What is it? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Psalms 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Sheep will settle for less. Whatever their shepherd gives them or leads them, they are happy. We are content in the Lord. The Lord goes before them. He builds them a covering. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. And I love this, that I learned that the Lord goes before the pasture. Before, he leads the, before the shepherd leads the sheep into the field, he will literally go in and he will pour oil in all the holes to keep the snakes from coming up and devouring the sheep. And I love that because God goes before me. He goes before me and he takes out the enemy, right? Amen. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. He puts oil on their heads so the flies will not go in the ears and devour the brain. Psalms 23, 1 through 231. Let's see, 23, 1 to 2. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. I read that. Sorry. They will... um, They will drink dirty water and it will make them sick. If the sheep are not led and they're not caroused, they will will drink or eat whatever is in front of them because they're stubborn and they're blinded from truth or lack of discernment. We have to be on guard. We can't drink the muddy water. I'll get down and get dirty with you, but I'm not going to partake of the sin with you. Amen? You got to have discernment. Sheep are valuable, the most precious to their master. They were for milk, meat, and wool. That was the shepherd's livelihood. Shepherds sacrificed a lot for their sheep. But listen, we are more precious than sheep. We are bought with a price. Jesus laid down his life for us. John 1.29 says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ezekiel 34, 11-12, The Lord searches for His sheep and looks after them. I thank God He pursued me. I thank God He pursued me. Yeah, I made the choice to serve the Lord, but His Holy Ghost hound dogs came looking for me. And I thank God every day they found me. Psalm 78:52 says he brought the children of Israel out like a flock and led them through the wilderness. John 10:11, Hebrews 13:20-21, he is the good shepherd and he lays down his life for us. He is the perfect shepherd. And guess what? Jesus prays for us. He goes before the Father on our behalf. That ought to make you shout right there when you feel like nobody's praying for you because my grandma's dead and gone and she ain't there to pray for me no more. But guess what? Jesus does. And that's the only prayers I need that matter and make a difference. Amen. We, uh, we were astray. 1 Peter 2.25 But Jesus is our King and our Savior. And in Him we have eternity. And in Him we will never thirst again. We will be completely satisfied. We will worship God in eternity on the throne. Um, nothing will harm us. We will not be taken out by the fire. No more sweating of the brow. Our work will be complete and we will finish well. The shepherds were the first to see him, but we, his children, <laughs> will be the last. Amen. 
Listen, when that eastern sky splits and that trumpet sounds, it won't be sheep or shepherd looking at him. It will be his children. And I'm going to be in that army. Amen? And I pray tonight that if you haven't received the Lord as your, as your Lord and Savior, tonight, let this be the night because we have eternity to look forward to. The world can have it, but I want heaven. Amen? Amen. <laughs> My name's Larry Sheffield, and yes, that's my wife. <laughs> I want to do a couple of things tonight, and that's to address some the people of God, and I want us to be encouraged by what God is doing and what He's done for us. But I want us to realize the responsibility that we have in that. So I want you to go with me to the fifth chapter of John. It said, after there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great number and multitude of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for a move of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. It says, Now a certain man <clears throat> was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there. I want us to stop right there for a minute because in the world we live in, if we're not careful, everywhere we look, there's problem. Right. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's spiritually, if it's physically, right. if it's mentally, if it's financially, if it's relationally. See, Jesus died and suffered and bled right. to heal of us of all. All. In the world we live in, I don't want us to get caught up as believers right. in thinking of all the turmoil. Right. We don't know right from wrong, up from down, man from woman. We don't know. It's all, it's all a blur. Yeah. And if we're not careful, we'll feel lost in the shuffle. Right. My news to you and to myself is He sees you. Because you see, at this, at this pool of Bethesda, there were porches all around. I had an opportunity in 2018 to see that, and I'm sure it's changed over the last 2,000 years, but you could put a number of people around that. The Word says there's a multitude of people. Now, this man, been, he's been with an infirmity 38 years, and it said that he'd been there for a while. But when Jesus passed by out of the crowd... That day, that day, he saw him. I want you and I to find hope in that. I want us to pick up on the, on the fact that this man has some tenacity. Last week, somebody brought a word about sticking with it and seeing it all the way through, being persistent. Some days I get 
impatient in 38 days or 38 minutes. This cat was sick for 38 years. But what did he do? Even after the, being there a long time, he kept showing up where the stirring was going on. So whenever, just because we don't see it happening, God's time is perfect. I don't know his time and I don't know his ways. But if I'll keep showing up where the stirring's happening, one day he's going to walk by me and say, come here, son. But if I quit, if I quit short of the mark, if I quit showing up before he calls my name, what is the outcome going to be? There's great hope in that. And I'm just going to dive in this minute and we got to move. I often ask myself, if you've been there such a long time, see, this is just me talking to this guy. Why don't you just lay on the edge? Because this guy, and just stare down at the water. And when you see it move, just fall in it. But then I began to look at it. The Lord said, why don't you look at it from his perspective? Because sometimes I'll judge you and you'll judge me like, what's your hang up? But when I look at it from your perspective, this cat's crippled. What's going to happen to a lame man if he don't have no help and he falls in the water? And he's a second man in. He drowns. So I'm going to be real careful before I look at you and say, why don't you just jump in the water? Maybe I could take some of my time and go help you in the water. We've got to move on. Continue in verse 6. And knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. That's Jesus. Knew he had been there a long time. See, Jesus knows your condition. He sees you and he knows how long you've been there. Don't ever, I may not know your condition, but I'm not the one who died for you. He does know it. But he asked the man a question. You know, I think he asked the same question to you and I by way of the Spirit. He says, do you want to be made well? That's kind of like seeing me hungry and asking me if I want a sandwich. Right? But that's what Jesus asked him. He said, do you want to be made well? Sometimes we get so lost in our problem, be it generationally, there's a thing called generational curses and generational liens that, that the enemy holds against me and my family and you if we'll allow him. But the same blood that saved me breaks that. after being in this situation and, and returning to the place day after day in hopes that today the water stirs and today I'm the first one in, he kept coming back. But when the water showed up at him, Jesus, and he said, do you want to be made well? The man's response was, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm coming, another step down before me. 
How many times has the Spirit of God asked me a question and I didn't answer what He asked me? Jesus didn't ask Him, why ain't you been in the pool? He didn't do that. He said, do you want to be made well? And sometimes I'm so hung up on my ailment till I walk right past what could make me well because I'm giving excuses of why I'm there. Jesus already knew. Now here's the news for today. See, the Bible's a good, it's a great book. But if I can't take it and plug it into my life, it's just good reading. He wrote it for me. To, it's a living word. So what's that saying to me? He says, Larry, do you want to be made well? We all got issue. And you know that woman that had it for 12 years? She chased after him. This man can't walk. Jesus said, no matter what of your predicament, I'm, I'm it. I'm it. Whatever you need, I got it. We know that Jesus told him, he didn't even, he didn't even say, I didn't ask you that. He just said, pick up your bed. Why? Because that day was his day. For you and I, every now and then, for, for this guy, every now and then, the water stirred. Well, then on a cross that's already been talked about, Jesus done some things in those three days. Then he hung out for about 40 days and he left. Then Holy Spirit came. For you and I, the water stirs every day, everywhere. All we have to do is go before him. But I want to hurriedly, I know that clock is running away. I want, to, I want to talk about somebody just for a moment. It's not mentioned by name in this. And there's a lot of them in this room. Because you see, if there was a lame and there was paralyzed, all these people showed up to the pool of Bethesda. Well, I, I was going to say I thought about that, but I didn't. The Lord made me aware of they didn't show up on their own. Somebody brought them. Somebody brought them. So somebody was ushering them toward the water was stirring. That's a big responsibility. It's got to be tiring. It's got to be consistent. Oh my goodness, I got to go pick them up. Oh my, I got to work late. I got to go get them. I got, I got to bring them food. And I, I, I become weary, and the word tells us not to become weary and well doing. But Lord, you know this is heavy. So there's some people in here that for years have ushered your family or your husband or your wife or your sons or your daughters, maybe your mama and your daddy or the person you work with, you have constantly ushered them into the presence of the Lord physically or on your knees. And you say, Lord, when, will this, when are we going to see a move? And I have an encouraging word from you from the Lord, not from me, because mine don't mean much. He said, I see you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. He said, I see your faithfulness. And I want you to be encouraged that I'm with you. And when you feel like you can't carry them anymore, I want you to be reminded that when you're weak, I'm strong. And when you can't take another step, I'll carry you as you carry them. I want you to be encouraged that when he asks you, do you want to be made well? I want to ask you, what will you say?
What will you say? Because nobody can answer that for you. What will you say? And when somebody, you see, I have been praying for them, God, I need a breakthrough. He said, you just keep on keeping on because one day I'm going to walk by them and ask them, do you want to be made well? Hi, I'm Aaliyah. I have a lot of word and not a lot of time. So if I had time, I would teach this word out, but I only have five minutes to release to you the word I feel like the Lord has given me to say. What is your calling? Or are you called at all? Mark 16, Jesus commissioned, called us, everywhere we go, proclaim, testify of Jesus and the good news. I'm going to empower you tonight, hopefully in five minutes, to know your purpose, to know your calling. God has need of you. Why? For the day is approaching. We can all sense it. He is mobilizing his people and he is making ready for his return. I asked the Lord what it is he wanted to say to you tonight. And he said, so many of you are asking, even begging him, Lord, use me. Well, his answer is a resounding yes, but you keep saying, I don't know how or what to do. Well, his answer is easy tonight. He said, I have called you to testify, to be my witness. The word witness and its variations is used over 182 times in the Bible. They all mean the same thing. Words out of your mouth that exhort, build up, instruct to glorify God so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does this say? You are a priest to declare him who called you and testify that he took you out of darkness into light, that once you didn't know him, but now you do. Once you didn't have mercy, but now mercy has you. You say you can't hear the voice of God? Well, you heard him when he called you to salvation. Doesn't this sound like you're supposed to be testifying of your salvation experience of what God brought you out of? In 1 Peter, it says, if you have received Christ as Lord, that you should always be prepared to give an answer, a testimony of the hope that is in you. Now, I know everybody wants to be a prophet. And how do you get better at something and grow? By practicing. You start where you're at. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you can all prophesy so that everyone will be instructed and encouraged. What is prophecy? Is the testimony of Jesus. Your testimony should edify, exhort, encourage, and instruct. Revelation says when you give your testimony about Jesus and what he has done, it is the very spirit of prophecy. You want to be a prophet? 
then start sharing your testimony with everyone and watch God prophesy through you to them. Tell how God settled the chaos in your life, how he was faithful when you were faithless, how he healed you, how he delivered you. Testify, testify. They overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Y'all, the blood has already been shed. Jesus has already done the work. Victory for whatever the situation is has been bought and paid for. Now testify of the blood of the lamb. The world is waiting on your testimony. No more excuses about what is my purpose, what is my calling, I don't know how, just testify. Testimony is the place where God's presence dwells. He met them at the tabernacle of testimonies. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to put in the ark the testimonies to be kept as a reminder. Your testimony is a reminder to you and to others of what God has done for you. Your testimony is the meeting place for God's presence. So if you're praying for God to move, if you are praying for God to use you, and you are sitting still in those pews, you are in direct opposition of your own prayer. You know too much and do too little. God said to Isaiah, I have redeemed you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You have received power. God is dwelling within you. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established to you. So I decree no more silence. You will use your voice. Nowhere in scripture did the Holy Spirit move on silence. God said, open your mouth and I will fill it. I declare courage, strength, and you will start seeing the opportunities all around you to start sharing your testimony. Your testimony reshapes the trauma to triumph. It turns the pa- takes the pain out of the sting of the wound and turns it into the joy of victory. I'm speaking from experience. I break the wall of silence and I remove the muzzle. I say, breathe, O breath of God, and visit them with the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a command and all that is within me. Now go into all the world, preach, pray, prophesy. Your testimony creates an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. Now I also heard these words. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Don't spread condemnation in your judgment. Share your faith, the love that the Father has shown you, and let Him do any conviction that needs to happen. Little is much when God is in it. Share little seeds of faith from your personal walk. The devil is the devil. He is out to rob you of your joy, steal your testimony, and kill your faith. He wants your witness. He wants your mouth closed. He doesn't even care if you come to church, get filled up, as long as you keep silent and keep it to yourself. Well, I declare and prophesy tonight that the silence stops. Stagnation ends here. I felt the Lord say, some of you feel distant where you once felt close. You feel that there is something missing. You feel foggy and like there's no clarity. You read your Bible, you pray, you come to church, you listen to good word, and you're asking God, what is it? What is it? He says, you're too full. You have too much and there's no outlet. It's called the Dead Sea. He's called you to be gushing with rivers of living water. 
You pray for more Holy Spirit, more word, more knowledge, more understanding. But the Lord says you have no room. You haven't given away what I've already given you. Start there. Your testimony is word. Your word is seed. And when you don't share your testimony, you abort the seed. It rots within you and it becomes painful again, distant and distasteful. Plant the seed and you will reap a harvest. So I declare you are chosen, you are called, and your assignment is to testify. I prophesy. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, and hear the word of the Lord. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. Now you think that we're all different and that we're called and you're not. We've just learned to share our testimony and the word that God has given us in the place that we are at. You are called to do the same. The Lord says, I release you. Go into all the world. Preach, pray, prophesy, testify, and be my witnesses everywhere you go. Well, how's everybody doing? Y'all in this? We good? All right. So I'm not too worried about the time because I slid a couple extra rounds out of my mag to David before service. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Man, this pulpit's nice and straight. Who does this? Good job. All right. So tonight I wanted to talk about um, restored hope. Um, I got a lot of scripture. I want to start out with Rita. I kind of wrote everything down because I don't have time to go off on a tangent. <laughs> Psalm 33, 2. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 42, 11. Why were you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 71, 14, but I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So what is hope according to the scripture? The confident expectation of and longing for the promised blessing of righteousness. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you had no hope? Where hope seems to be so far away, so unattainable, it almost seems hopeless to hope? Proverbs 13, 12 says, A hope deferred makes the heart sick. Deferred means to put off, to postpone. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It means just not yet. We tend to focus on that postponement and make it into a never. When we started coming to Restoring Hope, I had little hope. As a matter of fact, the thought of hope made my heart sick. Never mind the hope deferred part, the hope itself, the feeling of hope, I had come to almost despise. I didn't want to allow myself to hope because of the hurt we had been through. My heart was sick, but I had faith. Don't get me wrong, I hoped, but I didn't want to. Faith means we have to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. As Christians, we express our faith through action, by the way we live. We live for God. For my family, never once do we allow our hurt and pain to remove us from him or his house and his people, but instead, it drove us to desire him more. It pushed us to praise and worship more and deeper. So we see that faith is confidence and assurance in our God who created us, saved us, and is coming again. 
Faith is trust. So why? How do we get to where hope seems so far away? For me, honestly, there are things in my life that need to go. There are things that were holding me back. Maybe those things are family attachments for you or unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's an addiction. When we first started coming here, the person who invited us and was instrumental in us coming had counseled me not to tithe. I knew better. In my heart, I knew better, but I reasoned within myself that maybe he's right. But really, what happened was my greedy heart made excuses to not obey God. God dealt with me very quickly. Within weeks, we were tithing again, and we immediately saw the blessings. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to tithe. The other reason, and this is super simple, his time isn't our time. It's pretty heavy. I mean, groundbreaking revelation, right? Seriously, it's not time. You want Bible examples? Abraham. Talk about waiting for a promise. And after the promise was delivered, God asked him to sacrifice the promise. I wonder if I would have been obedient or if I would have said, get thee behind me, Satan. How many times do we do that? I think about the guy that Sheffield just talked about. He's sitting there at the, at the pool waiting for 38 years for a long time. He's waiting for his promise. Um... Joshua and Caleb, 40 years, and it wasn't their fault. Again, I wonder if I would have grumbled about the losers I had to wander around the desert with. <laughs> I saw and I heard the testament of the people around us when we came to Restore and Hope. I started to pay attention to what they were telling me. I started to hear with my heart. They became family. And as they spoke about God's mercy in life, what God had done and was doing, I saw the purpose God had in placing us in this house. And I could see God's hand in the lives of those around us and in us. I began to see that God did have a plan for my life, a plan to prosper me and to bless me and not to hurt me. So what does restored hope look like? 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I think about Job. We, we like to relate to Job a lot, right? Nobody's ever seen the trouble Job's seen. But here's Job. He's going through all this stuff, and he went through every single bit, not just for Job, not just so the people around him, his friends could see it, but so that I could read about Job. So that I could say, good grief. I don't ever have to go through anything Job went through, and look at me, I'm complaining about nothing. So, we have perfect examples through the scripture of people whose testimony is in the Bible for us to learn from, for us to glean from, for us to change our life with. So that's what God's given you. When you go through something, it's not for you necessarily, it's for everybody else. It's to change other people, it's to help them, it's to push them through what they're going through. When your hope is restored from hearing the testimonies and seeing the hand of God, your past pain becomes a story God uses to touch others and to start the hope process in them. Those scars aren't open and bleeding. They're there, but they don't leave blood on other people. You can speak from a place of healing, a place of trust, a place of hope. I remember hearing testimonies in this house 
and going, you'd never think that, that they had to go through stuff like that. You don't see it on them. The other day I was talking to a guy, and he says, well, you don't know. You don't know what it's like not to have food. You don't know what it's like to sleep in your truck. And I was like, I do know. I was able to talk to him. I was able to witness to him. And it blew him away that there's people who have to go through things, but they come out the other side and don't look. They don't smell like smoke, as Bishop says. So today I just want to encourage you, hope is there. Hope is coming. Don't lose hope. Hey guys, I guess I'm last. My name is Natasha. To some, I introduce myself as Tasha, and those who are really close to me just call me Tosh. So, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> um, tonight, um, I'm going to talk about keeping your eyes on Jesus. The title is called Keep Your Eyes on Jesus, and I'm not going to read the full scripture, but it's out of Matthew 14, 25 through 33. We all know the story pretty well. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and he sends, um, he sends his disciples off in a boat, and a storm comes, the waves rise up, and they are all afraid, and they see what they think to be a ghost walking on the water. And the Lord speaks to them and says, don't be afraid, it's me. Well, good old Peter, he says, prove it. <laughs> he says, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. So I'm going to pick up here. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat. The wind died down. And I want to jump back up to verse 30. And I looked up quite a few translations about, but when he saw the wind, when he looked at the storm, he was afraid. So, but when he saw the strong wind and waves, but when he saw the strength of the wind, when he saw the charging wind, when he saw the boisterous wind, when he saw the violent wind, when he saw the effects of the wind, when he realized how high the waves were, he was afraid and began to sink. When Peter took his eyes off Jesus and noticed how terrible the storm was, how high the waves were, when he saw the effects of this storm, he began to sink. When we shift our focus off of the one who calms the storm and place our attention on the storm, we, and we could call it when we focus on the circumstance, when we focus on the trial or on the issue, that's when what's coming against us has the power to overtake us. So let me encourage you all. Nothing in our lives has the power to overtake us if we keep our eyes on the one who holds us up. And I can imagine ourselves in, in life naturally, stepping out of a boat with all the circumstances of life swirling about. We, like Peter, step out in faith, believing when God says, come, we answer the call full of faith, excited and ready. Eyes locked forward. We step out. And then we feel a raindrop hit us in the arm. Nope, laser focus. We're not taking our eyes off Jesus. He said it, we're going to do it. 
and then we feel a gust of wind come. And these could be financial issues. This could be a car wreck. This could be kids not living right. This could be uh, marriage and shambles. We feel the rush of the wind. And in our natural minds, and the world tells us to pay attention to that, get our hands on it and fix it. But all the Lord's called us to do is come. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So the more rain, the stronger the wind, the greater the circumstance. Now my attention has shifted and I'm sinking. Now I'm not sure I can stand. It's too much. I can't stand under this much pressure. I can't walk with this much opposition. I'm sinking fast. The storm in this passage in the Bible is a literal storm. The wind, the waves, the rain, the lightning, the thunder, it represents our trials and trouble, diagnosis, marriages, all the things. There are storms that rise up in our lives. Are we going to allow them to to, uh, spiral us out of control? Or are we going to keep our eyes on Jesus? In verse 22, after feeding the 5,000, The word says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead to the other side, period. His command, his word didn't change just because trouble rose up. We have to believe and stand in faith and trust him at his word. If he says go, we go. If he says stand, we stand. If he says wait, we wait. His word, we obey. Troubles that come our way aren't meant to overtake us. They are meant to strengthen and mature us. If he allowed it, trust that it's for our good and that there's purpose in it. Every translation in this passage that described the storm in a different way. But when it says fear, he became afraid and began to sink. Every translation, fear, sinking. He became afraid, he was frightened, all the same thing. Fear causes us to sink. And also every translation said immediately. When you called out for help, when we cry out to Jesus, there's an immediate hand and he grabs Peter up and saved him. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. He's saying, don't doubt me. If God said it, he will do it. He will bring you through it. If he asks a lot of you, do it anyway. If he um, asks you to uproot your family and follow him, do it. Don't allow the negative Nancys to change your mind. Keep your eyes on him, not on what rises up against you. No matter what storm comes, no matter what weapon forms, keep your eyes on him. Even when it looks like the storm will overtake you, even when it feels like all hope is lost, you will make it keeping your eyes fixed on him. Come on, give it up. I know you just did. Give it up one more time. Remain standing, those of you. What a, what a steady thread of hope that we've heard tonight. We've heard the theme of the gospel in every message. There's been the thread of, of, the, of the good news of Jesus Christ, what He can do for you, and ended on the storms of life, 
the struggles, the chaos that, that happens to stir in our spirits, in our mind. And we heard it several times. Don't get distracted on the stirring storm of the enemy. Keep your focus on the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes upon Him. And maybe you've been distracted in this season. I, I, I just feel like that that's been a theme tonight. But that we should not fear. God did not give you that spirit of intimidation. God did not give you that spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm proud of every one of you. You did an amazing job tonight. Absolutely fantastic. I honor you tonight. I bless you. But now I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you are struggling in your mind. Maybe you've been in a situation for years. Maybe you feel you've been stuck in a similar placement for years. Maybe just a few weeks, maybe months. Maybe you have felt the enemy's storms around you. Let me just tell you, he's working overtime. And let me tell you why. Because of kingdom investment inside you. They've already they've eradicated every excuse tonight of you being used in the kingdom of God. If you've got a testimony, you've got, you've got the power and the authority of Jesus Christ on the inside of you that needs to be released. You know, it was so interesting the other day, and I'm going to say this, and I want to give you an opportunity, so don't lose that thought. If you've been moved by this message, and you feel if, whatever you need tonight, if, this word, if this, this word as a whole spoke to you, I want you to move forward. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I want to do what we did last week. Can I just line you up as the intercessors tonight? Our head intercessor is, you can lead the way if you'd like. But I just want to line you up, and that way that, that you can release over the needs tonight. But I want to say this. You know, a lot of times we tell people to go outside and to minister and to bring people and tell people listen what god is doing in restoring hope i'm proud of i'm gonna say it again until y'all get proud of it what god's doing at restoring hope it's amazing you know why because he's at the steering wheel he's the one leading it He's the one directing it. It's a body functioning and flowing together. You want to see New Testament church, you're seeing it at Restoring Hope Church. Pastor Jeff, am I telling the truth? Can I get a witness in this place? I, wanted, I want you to understand that God is moving. And I'm not promoting Restoring Hope as the title of this name. I'm, I'm, I'm promoting the Jesus that's in Restoring Hope. I... I I believe in what God is doing. And so I believe more now than ever, and, and, and it's been mentioned several times, there's highways and byways. And it's time. Watch, what did it say? Compel them to... Say it again. When's the last time you've told somebody to come to church with you? No, really. When's the last time you've invited somebody to Restoring Hope Church? Do you believe in what God's doing here? I'm saying this as your pastor right now. Because what God is doing here, there's so much ministry in this building. Now, as Pastor Greg, it's been... Listen, I'm just bringing back what, what God is trying to say. Now, it's time for prophetic evangelism. 
as I was ministering uh, the other the other week and I outside and Amanda uh, preached the sermon here I remember saying that specific thing even to them that go outside go to the highways and I, I mentioned uh, you know what if there's somebody in a wheelchair at a gas pump you know that you have the authority residing on the inside of you to go lay hands on that person with faith how many believes that people can jump out of wheelchairs with faith I kid you not guess what happened I'm driving home with Ian in the car he can vouch he's a witness guess what was at the gas pump the driver got out got in his wheelchair pumping gas you know what I didn't do I didn't go witness to that person and I felt the pull don't know why because normally I will do that normally I don't have an issue going and I missed what I told somebody else to do here's what I want to tell you God's making it loud and clear you have the authority of Jesus Christ listen to me and the power of his blood you have Jesus the water you can be the representation of that Jesus going to that person with the issue and saying listen you may not have been able to get it at the physicians you may not have been able to get it here but I promise you this a silver and gold have I none but such as I have I give unto you and I have the name of Jesus and I know the authority and the power that is in that name and you can come out of that way I've seen the cripple leap out of wheelchairs I've seen blinded eyes restored I've seen deaf ears open up and so what I want to tell you you have too so there's no excuse all you have to do is release what God has invested in you amen let's prepare ourselves right now just lift your hands toward heaven Heavenly Father I ask right now if there's those that have needs in this place Lord I pray that there would be no hesitation there would be no restriction God if there's been chaos if there's been confusion if Lord Jesus there's been a, a placement that's been too long in the lives of those who have been here issues that have remained too long father God Lord I pray that there would as we give this invitation that there would be no hesitation to move on your word Lord that that the, the the only word that's effective is the word that we choose to move on so we have to activate what we've heard and Lord I just pray for divine activation right now I pray over this congregation that is here and Lord as they've heard the word of the Lord I pray that they have enough faith to move on that word right now and we give you the glory in the praise in advance in Jesus name here's what I want to ask you if you have a need if these messages this message as a totality has spoken to you and you've been stuck or maybe you felt confused or maybe the winds and waves you started going the right way but the storms of life the enemy's devices and schemes have tried to distract that focus if that's you I want you to come to this altar right now and the first one that comes I promise you there will be other sheep that follow just as what was said tonight come on come on